I have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. Now, some of y'all uh, who are here for the first time, uh, maybe you don't understand why other people were laughing when I said I have a granddaughter. It's because uh, my granddaughter is almost two, be two in April, and almost every week I try to tell something about my granddaughter. It, it's really a shameless thing, and, and it is crazy. I, I never would have imagined that I would be like this, um, but I have lost my ever-loving mind. Uh, anyway, my, my granddaughter, Nora, for several months now, uh, whenever she wants something, she, like for instance, if she gets uh, um, uh, peanut butter rice cake, uh, rice cake with peanut butter on, and she likes that, she'll eat it, and she wants more of that, she'll say more, more, or she'll use the sign more, more, more. And, and what she's saying is, that was good, let's do it again. Um, and, and she'll do that, and of course, I, I always want her to have more when she asks for more. Uh, she'll, she's also, uh, another way she does it is uh, if she's uh, watched something or enjoyed something and she wants some more of that, she'll say, please, 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 and that means that was good, can we please do that again? Uh, and then uh, she started doing something like this. Uh, uh, she'll say, uh, 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 okay, 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 okay. Poppy, okay, 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 Poppy, Poppy, okay, okay. And with every okay, she's saying, that was awesome. Let's do it again, Poppy. Okay, 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 okay. So I listen to that. No, our family is enamored by that. It's wonderful. Um, but, you know, it's not just for two-year-olds. When there's something that you've enjoyed, you want to do it again. There are commercials made about potato chips. You can't have just one. Uh, you've got to have more and more. And, and, and I understand that. A, a good piece of chocolate. You know, uh, Edie went and, and uh, she uh, got me, you know, we're almost into Easter season, right? Uh, you go to the store, there are Easter uh, 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 chocolate and peanut butter products there, Reese peanut butter. And, and Edie brought some home. She said, you know, every time Easter comes, they're fresh. This is fresh Reese peanut butter cup in the shape of an egg. I, and they're gone now, but they were great <laughs> for the few minutes that they lasted. So, and, and I want more, more, more. I'm about to go fishing with my dad and uh, my three brothers and uh, three uh, nephews, and it'll be a Thomas getaway, leave today, and we'll be fishing in the Smoky Mountains for several, we uh, several days. Uh, and, and it reminds me that even as a young boy, when I would go fishing uh, with my dad, and even as a grown man, we'll be fishing, and it, it, it'll be time to go, but we'll say one more cast, one more cast, one more cast, in the hopes that that very next cast would bring in uh, you know, monstro the whale kind of thing. And, and so you, you love, uh, so when it's something you love, you're going to ask more, more. Uh, God has planted First Norfolk in the seven cities of Hampton Roads for over 200 years 
so that we would be the church of the one more. One more person who is no longer headed for judgment, but now is brought into the kingdom of God. One more person who is far from God, brought into life that is found through faith in Jesus Christ. Always one more, as Seth Schwab, who was up here earlier, as Seth has said it, he said, he said, we're not the church of the one and done, but we are the church of the one more. And that is my passion for us. And that is God's passion and God's heart for our church. We love sitting in community and, and it's a wonderful thing when we get together and have community together. It is essential. It is important for us to gather together and enjoy the fellowship and the encouragement that we find together as the family of faith. But friends, if we think community is the end of what we're supposed to be about, we've lost sight of the very heart of God. God's heart beats for one more. One more to be brought into the family of faith who is far from God. There are one mores all around us. And for the next several weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus approached the one more. This morning, we're going to look at the value of the one. Turn in your copy of Scripture to Luke chapter 15. This, this week, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And then next week, we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son and how that helps us understand a little bit more about the one more. Now, church, as you're turning there, let me just say this very clearly. This church does not exist for our membership. Amen. That's not why we exist. The church was not built to exist for you and me sitting here. The church exists for the glory of God and for His passion and His urgency for those who are far from God. And everything that we enjoy when we get together here, everything that we enjoy, everything that, that fills up my bucket to overflowing when we gather together, feeds this mission that God has given us. As one preacher said, uh, to remove mission from the church is to try to take notes out of a song. It's to try to take words out of a poem. It's impossible without Notes, there is no song. Without words, there is no poetry. And without mission, there is no church. And so as we look today at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, I want you to see how Jesus was moved by this mission that he sends us on. Okay? Let's read together, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then all, uh, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. Okay, so if, just to kind of catch you up on the biblical story here, Jesus is going around, he's teaching, and there are groups of people. In this passage, you've got tax collectors and sinners. That is a, a combination of titles that depict the outcast. The, they're outside the family. They wouldn't come to church on a Sunday morning. They're not respectable enough to show up here. You know, they, they, they're, they're, um, they're the folk that you would find in the other parts of town, uh, not, not gathered here. And, and yet the tax collectors and sinners, the outsiders, man, they were flocking around Jesus. They were drawing near to Jesus. And the reason they were drawing near to Jesus is because he literally has the words that give life. I really do think, and, and this is free, 
is free. I really do think that as a church, we sometimes miss it because we become so enamored with our own cultural ideas that we forget that the words of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, pointing people to Jesus is what we're supposed to be about. And Jesus is the one who gives life to a hurting heart. Jesus is the one who gives life to one who is far from God. So our job is to point people to Jesus, and that means that we preach the truth. It means that we stand strong on the conviction of God's Word as the absolute truth of the way of life that we're to live. But instead of pointing people to how they're supposed to do life, let's point them to the one who is life. Let him transform their lives and lead them into the fullness of life, which then helps them walk according to the truth, the absolute truth of God. What we get confused by is we become so consumed by telling people how they're supposed to be doing the things that there's no way they can do. We ask people who are not followers of Jesus to behave like followers of Jesus. They can't. It's an impossibility. So let's get them to Jesus. Let's point them to Jesus. And by the way, guess what? When someone who's far from God sees Jesus, hears Jesus, encounters Jesus, man, they want some of that. They want Jesus because Jesus gives them the exact thing that they're yearning for. He gives them life. He gives them forgiveness. He gives them hope. He gives them help. Let's point people to Jesus. That's verse 1. That's not even part of the sermon. <laughs> verse 2. <laughs> and the Pharisees and the, sad, and the scribes complained. And they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them saying, all right, so uh, again, let me stop. All right, so the, second, the first group, t- tax collectors and sinners, outsiders, Pharisees and scribes, that's the end group. That's a respectable folk. Those are the people that followed the rules, but they were just as empty as sinners and tax collectors. They looked good on the outside, but Jesus called them empty tombs on the inside because just as sinners and tax collectors were separated from God by their sin, so too these respectable religious folk were separated from God by their sin. No amount of religion can bridge the distance between a sinner and a holy God. Believe me, I've tried it. It doesn't work. Just because I show up at church on a regular basis doesn't get me any closer to God. Being in this room doesn't get me any closer to God than me sitting in a garage makes me more like a car. It doesn't work. We need something more than just religious do's and don'ts. That's what the Pharisees and scribes we're offering. And the reason tax collectors and sinners wanted to get around Jesus is not because he was lax on truth, but because he gave them the opportunity to see how to experience truth, how to live it in their lives, how to be transformed, not by the things that they did, but by the things that he did for them. And we'll talk about that in a second. All right. So that's, that's verse two. That's not part of the message either. All right, so, so in order to correct what these scribes and Pharisees were upset about, they were upset. Can you imagine being upset that people who are far from God start wanting to be close to God by getting around Jesus? Can you imagine being in a church 
where people get upset because those who are far from God want to start getting around Jesus. And there are actually people who open their arms and say, come on in. Can you imagine that? Friends, I can. It, 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 it's, it's something that, that we hear at different times from different folks within the family of faith. I can't believe we're doing that. I can't believe those people are in here. That's, those are the people that we're supposed to be on mission reaching. By the way, you and I, we were those people. But it's only by God's grace we've been rescued. All right, so there's no place of, uh, for outsiders, insiders in this family of faith. We are all outsiders who've been brought inside by the grace of God, not by the efforts of our own activity or religious duty. So let's, let's start looking at people through a different lens, the way Jesus did. So that, that's what he was trying to do. He said, all right, now I've got to correct the Pharisees and the scribes. I've got to let them see something bigger than their own perspective of religious duty. I need to help them understand that there is a way to do life, and that way to do life is to follow after the heartbeat of God and to value even one who is far from God. All right? So he tells the story, and, and there are two, one parable, two different settings. All right? Verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just people who need no repentance. Verse 8, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All right, so Jesus tells this story, and he's trying to, thank you, don't know what that was. Jesus tells the story, he's trying to get our attention to understand the value of just the one, just the one, the one who is far from God. And he shows us the value of the one by showing us the heart of God. Today, we can see God's heart of passion for those who are far from him. God's heart of passion for those who are far from him. Now, let me identify those who are far from them. Those who are far from God are sinners separated from God by their sin who can't reach God, i.e., that's all of us. But God in his grace sends a rescuer to build a bridge between a sinner and a holy God. So when Jesus is sitting there doing what God had given him to do, and that is to give life to those who are far from God, and the religious people complain, Jesus wanted them to understand, you don't understand the heart of God. He values the one tax collector. He values the one sinner. He values the one lost sheep. He values the one lost coin. And, and next week we're going to see he values the one lost son. He values the one. One is a valuable number to God. 
And that includes all of us who by faith have trusted Christ, who've been transformed by His grace. If you have been transformed by God's grace through faith in Jesus, you were once that one, far from Him, but brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ, shed on a cross for you in payment for your sin and mine. Today, guys, listen, we need to understand the passion of God's heart for those who are far from Him. Jesus welcomes tax collectors and sinners. He doesn't stiff arm them. He doesn't reject them. He says, come here. Let me help you meet God. Let me help you find out who he is. Let me help you find forgiveness for your sin. Let me help you experience new life. And Jesus welcomes sinners because that is God's passion for the one, for those who are far from him. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved in such a way that he gave his only son. Romans 5, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he gave himself the payment price for our sin. This is a reflection of the heart of God. Jesus came on a mission that reflect God's passion for those who are far from him. Jesus came, he said, to seek and to save those that were lost, not to celebrate merely with those who are found. Guys, listen, in the church, we get so wrapped up in this, and it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. It's good. This is great. This is essential. This is necessary. This is important. But if we elevate what we're doing here to the neglect of the very mission that Jesus came to fulfill, then we've lost the heartbeat of God. Our mission Our mission is to move forward with God's passion for those who are far from him, for the one. So Jesus goes on, and you have this passion reflected in the mission of Jesus. In John 17, y'all know John 17, uh, Jesus is about to be killed on a cross to pay the price for your sin's debt and mine. And so he lifts his eyes to heaven and he prays to the Father. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son might also glorify you as you've given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus came to give eternal life. Jesus came to bring us to God. Through his own death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we have a chance at forgiveness and a new life. We who are far from God can be brought near through faith in Jesus Christ. Our church, you and I, we are not peddlers of a person or a program, but we're proclaimers of the Savior who has come to rescue us. that's, that's, That's what we're here to do. 
and tell other people. There's a reason why you're not in heaven yet as a follower of Jesus. There's a mission to fulfill. And that is not to eat Reese's peanut butter cups. Although that's good. That's not the mission of our life. The mission of our life is to have God's passion for those who are far from Him and help them see Jesus as their only hope. So we have God's passion. And that shows us the value of the one. Then Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and that shows us God's urgency for those who are far from Him. You see the urgency, don't you? Jesus says there's a shepherd and he has a hundred sheep. He loses one. And he's so urgent for the one that he leaves 99 to go after the one. Guys, you can paint that picture any way you want, but that means that the priority of the shepherd was the one who was lost, not the 99 that were in the corral. That was the priority. That was the priority and that was the urgency. The one that was far away. The woman. She has 10 coins. She loses one. And she keeps herself up all night uh, diligently and determinedly finding the one lost coin. The other nine were in her purse. The one was gone. She put a priority on finding the one. I don't want to press this too far, but we need to hear the message here. So much of what we do as a church puts as a priority the 99 and we forget about the one. And that's not the way it should be. The 99 are feeding in the corral. They're already under the care of the good shepherd, but the one is lost. To be lost begs to be found. And it's our mission. This church, First Norfolk, it's your mission part of this family called First Norfolk to have an urgency for the one that is lost. So do you have that kind of urgency? I mean, not just a passing fancy. Do you have an urgency? I'm so thankful that this past week, so many of you, last, last Sunday we looked at Luke 14 and inviting people to the uh, great banquet. And, and, and uh, Going up to people and saying, do you know my Jesus? Can I tell you about him? Like my granny Jenkins did. I'm, I'm so thankful for the different uh, messages that I received this past week from you as you went uh, through the course of your day and you uh, found opportunity and God opened doors for you to uh, invite someone to church or to give them the, a, a, a gospel of John booklet or or tell them about Jesus, or even ask them, do you know my Jesus? Can I tell you about him? I'm so thankful that, that your eyes were outward, not just inward. I'm so thankful for you and for, for this church being a pastor, but let's step it up. We gotta step it up. In your sphere of influence, in, in our relationships all around us, there are people who are the ones who are far from God. They're, they're, he, they're, they're, they're standing on the edge of hell. And we must not go ho-hum. They're standing on the edge of hell and we must be urgent 
And we must be passionate because that's the heart of God. By the way, that's the heart of God that rescued you and me. Let's celebrate that. About, oh, that. I didn't get to the celebration, I gotta tell you. All right, so when we have the passion of God, valuing the one, we have the urgency of God, valuing the one, that leads to the very thing that we treasure and the very thing that we celebrate together. One sinner repenting and coming to faith in Christ. You see the story, all right? So, so Jesus wraps up each story with this little statement, he, the story of the, of the shepherd. He said, he said the, the shepherd found the sheep, put the sheep on his back, and then he said to his neighbors and friends, rejoice with me for the one sheep that was lost has been found. And then Jesus wraps it up with this statement. He says, I'm here to tell you that there is more joy in heaven itself over one sinner who repents than uh, over 99 people who don't think they need anything. When the, when the lady finds the lost coin, she gets neighbors and friends and says, let's celebrate. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, all the angels in heaven get around the throne and they celebrate together the one who repents. You know what that tells me? It tells me that as a church, we need to be celebrating the things that heaven celebrates. And we need to be passionate and urgent to move to the celebration of the things that heaven celebrates. You know what heaven celebrates? Heaven's not celebrating the fact that I preached a good sermon. They might sigh relief, but they're not celebrating. Heaven's celebrating when one who is lost is found. At the end of our uh, nine o'clock worship gathering, young couple have been here with uh, some of our church members, been invited here, went to uh, uh, a marriage weekend that we had a few weeks ago, and they, they came and, and they came up and they said, well, you know, we want to know more about joining the church. And, and it was in between services, and Pastor Tim Whitney was uh, kind enough to take them, and they talked through it. And at the end of this service, when I finish preaching, I'm going to go back here and they're going to be baptized. Come on. I mean, no, no, no. We got to celebrate. We celebrate that. Why? Because that's what heaven celebrates. Let's, and, and look, I celebrate a good chocolate. I really do. I, this next week, I'll celebrate a fish that's caught. That's good. I'll celebrate wonderful life events with you. I celebrate those things. But when we're as a church pursuing something, we need to pursue with a vision of celebrating what we know that heaven is celebrating. And that is the lost have been found. Those far from God have found new life in Christ. Oh my goodness, this, this is what needs to light a fire in our family of faith. Now, this is what promises to light a fire in our family of faith. So today, I, I just want to close with this thought. And again, uh, I, I don't tell very many stories that have been told over and over and over again, except about Nora. Um, but I'm, I'm getting ready to tell you a preacher story. And it's a story that I heard when I was a little boy, long, long ago. And it's a story I've heard over time 
in different pulpits from different pastors and different Bible teachers. But the reason I'm going to share it with you, I've never shared it publicly like this. I've never done it with you all, so it's the first time for some of y'all. But it'll be familiar probably to most of you. But the reason I'm doing it is because it pinpoints with clear application what our mission needs to be this week. So the story goes like this. There was a professor, and the professor would get away uh, during the summer, and he'd go to uh, a beach house, and he would write during the summer. And as he's uh, at the beach house, his, his uh, 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 way of doing things, he would write in the, uh, from noon until uh, dark, and then he'd go to sleep. And he'd get up in the morning, and he would go walk along the beach for inspiration and, and that kind of thing. And so uh, he's getting ready for bed uh, the night, at night, and, and a great storm blows through. I mean, uh, a nor'easter type of storm, and, and he goes to bed with the sound of the rain hitting the shutters and the wind banging uh, the, uh, the house. And, and so he, 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 he rests, and he gets up the next morning, and he walks out to the beach. Sun is risen, and it's shining, and it's such a beautiful, you know, the kind of beautiful beach setting right after a storm. He goes out and he, and he goes to the beach, and as he, as he walks out onto the sand, he looks to the left, and all along the beach are starfish lining the sand. And he looks the other way, and, and all along the beach are more starfish lining the sand. And during the storm, the storm surge swept these starfish up onto the sand, and, and there they were, thousands of them stuck, stuck in the sand with no hope for escape. The professor noticed it but didn't think much about it until he looked down the beach and he saw this young boy. And as the young boy is walking toward him, uh, the professor gets curious because the young boy was erratic in his movements. He would take a step and he would bend over and he'd uh, get back up and he'd throw something in the ocean. And and he'd take another step and he'd bend over and stand up, throw something in the ocean. He'd take another step bend over, pick something up, throw it in the ocean. And the professor was curious now, and so he walks up to the young boys. He's doing his thing, and he says, good morning, young man. Can I ask you, what are you doing? And as you might imagine now, you've already probably caught up, but the young boy says, well, the storm washed all these starfish up on the sand, and they have no way of escaping back into the water. And the sun's going to come out, and it's going to be a scorcher today. And if they don't get back in the water, they're going to die. So I'm helping them to live and tossing them into the ocean. And the professor, trying to ease the expectation of this young boy or trying to be adult where this little boy was just a little boy, he said, young man, there are thousands of starfish do you really think you're going to make a difference? And the young boy bent over, and he picked up a starfish. He showed it to the professor, and he said, I'm making a difference to this one. And he threw it in the water. You know, we live in a world that seems crazy, and culture is so corroded. And we think sometimes the best thing for us to do is cloister and protect ourselves from the chaos of the world. Let's just be a community cloistered together and happy the way we are. But that's not our mission. 
Our mission is to value everyone enough to tell the one who is far from God how they can find life through faith in Christ. You might think, I don't know how I can make a difference. You can make a difference when you go to the one that God has put in your path this week. Have a passion, God's heart of passion for them. Have urgency, God's heart of urgency for them. And tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Now tell them, invite them to come to worship with us here at First Norfolk. Tell them that there is hope in a hopeless world. There is help for a helpless existence today. Today, will you value the one enough to risk taking the time and telling someone about Jesus this week? Would you bow your heads with me, please? In these next few moments, I want to challenge you and encourage you to think along these lines. First, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you long to know him, will you have the courage to ask one of the pastors here, like this young couple did at the end of the worship gathering, going to the next step station and finding me and saying, I, I, I want to join the church. Can, can you help me with that? And, and then us being able to help them on that journey. Maybe that's who you are today. And I pray today you would have the courage. There are going to be ministers here at the front in a few moments, and you can come and you can share with them, hey, listen, I'm, I have questions about being a member of the church. Or I have questions about being a follower of Jesus. Can you help me? We'd love to help you with that. And some of you are here today, and you're followers of Christ, but you've been living life large on uh, your own interests, and you've forgotten what it meant for you to be far from God, lost, and then found. And today, God is burdening you with a desire and a yearning to go to the one, the one that God has planted in your life, the one that God has put around you in your sphere of influence, and be a commitment to them to help them find life through faith in Christ. And you're here today, and you want to come to this altar, and you want to pray for that one that God's planted on your heart, or you, know, you, you, you want to come and and, and, and ask God, oh God, will you put in my path that someone this week that I, can, that I can help find life through Christ? Everyone is valuable to God. And so everyone must be valuable to us. Now, Father, in these moments as we worship you together, as we sing and celebrate and praise your holy name. I pray, O oh God, that you would draw to yourself those whom you are calling. I pray that you would encourage your people in the room today and online, that you would encourage us to be ambassadors for you, those who go into different places and, 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 and invite people, help them understand how that they can find help and hope, how that they can find you, O oh God, through faith in Christ. God, I pray that you would burden us. God, just burden us. And help for us to fulfill the mission that you've given us to fulfill. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. 
Amen. I'm going to invite you right now to stand and sing with us. Ministers are going to be here at the front. Any commitments that you need to make, you come and you can share with them. This altar is going to be open. You come and God, uh, and please God as you do those very things.